Whoop is a fitness wearable that provides personalized insights on the performance of your sleep, how recovered your body is, and how much stress and exertion you put on your body throughout the day. Each day when you get up, Whoop gives you a recovery score based on your sleep, resting heart rate, and heart rate variability that can be used as an indicator for how to approach your day. The app has built-in features like Strain Coach, which gives you target exertion goals to work out optimally at your body's recovery level. Whoop automatically detects and categorizes your activities so there's no need to start and stop your workout. You can analyze your heart rate throughout the entirety of your workout and also track your calories burned, max heart rate, and average heart rate. It's the perfect way to train. The app also has a built-in sleep coach which lets you know how much sleep you should be getting based on your expected activity level for the following day so you can wake up and be recovered based on your performance goals. Whoop is offering 15% off with the code VELONEWS at checkout. Go to Whoop, W-H-O-O-P.com, and enter VELONEWS at checkout to save 15%. Sleep better, recover faster, and train smarter. Optimize your performance with Whoop today. Hello, Velo News listeners. This is Dan Cavallari, tech editor at Velo News, coming at you with another Velo News tech podcast. And my friends, it has been a strange year to be a bicycle rider. Uh, people are definitely trying to find new ways to entertain themselves without racing. Uh, and Everesting has sort of become the go-to challenge du jour. Uh, but Ben Delaney is joining me today. Ben, how are you doing? Oh, doing just fine, Dan. Thanks for having me. Yeah, of course. Thanks for joining me. And Ben, you, you and Betsy Welch, uh, our senior editor, uh, came up with a different challenge. Uh, Everesting didn't didn't quite appeal to to what you guys were were interested in doing, so you came up with a different challenge called Project Fourteener. Um, can you tell us uh, to start a little bit about what Project Fourteener is and uh, why you guys decided to do it? So here's the deal, Dan. Everesting climbing twenty thousand. 29,000 feet is crazy. Yeah. Can we agree on oh, this? Oh, absolutely. It's, it's incredible what people like Lachlan and, and uh, Ruth and Lauren and others have accomplished. So I, I'm in awe of their physical talents. But for normal folks, climbing 29,000 feet is crazy. <laughs> yes, absolutely. <laughs> so that's part one. Part two is, yes, we are, many of us, uh, hungry for a, a challenge of some sort. Uh, something to scratch the competitive itch. So Betsy came up with the idea of Project 14er, which is climbing 14,000 feet in a day, which is only roughly half crazy. Yeah. So uh, why 14er? Well, we're in Colorado. There are more than 50 mountain peaks over 14,000 feet. Uh, and it's just, you know, it's a thing here to do a 14er. Usually you hike up to the top of a 14er. Mm. Um, we like riding bikes. So we're like, well, what if we, you know, we set 14,000 feet net elevation as our goal. And, uh, and, and unlike Everesting, where for the vast majority of people who do it, which is a, a small number, once they've done it, they never, ever want to do it again. <laughs> you know, it's like, okay, bucket list thing yeah. checks, never again. Sanity sets in right at the end. Oh, probably hours before the end. Yeah. <laughs> um, but we want to challenge it. That would be a stretch goal, mm-hmm. you know. Certainly a big day, but something that the interview like that was awesome. Let's let's go do it again. Let's Everest Flagstaff. Let's let's or let's uh, do a fourteener on Flagstaff. Let's do a fourteener on dirt. Let's do a mountain bike fourteener. You know, and and we're also looking at it as a way to to test gear. Mm-hmm. Um, so, to give you a long answer to a short question, Project Fourteener is climbing fourteen thousand feet in one go mm-hmm. on a bike with your buds. 
And I'll, I'll tell you, so there's a video on VeloNews.com right now, and you can see uh, the first episode of Project 14 or where Ben and uh, Betsy climb Mount Evans. Uh, and it looks, uh, it looks really painful, Ben. <laughs> it's like cold at the top and hot at the bottom. And I, yeah, just lots of climbing. You were out for, what, 10 hours? Uh, oh, we were out the entire day. Yeah, that, that sounds, yeah. That sounds, that sounds but, crazy you know, enough for me. So we did this on Mount Evans, which for folks who don't know, it's the highest paved road in North America. Uh, and exactly how high, we, we don't know for sure. And that was one of the tricky things uh, in trying to figure out, you know, it sounds simple on the face. Okay, let's climb 14,000 feet, which prompted the basic question for me, which is, well, how do you know when you've climbed 14,000 feet? And like, well, the little computer on your handlebars will tell you. Like, how do you know that's telling you the truth? So we can, you know, get into that a bit more, and that's certainly of interest now that uh, Lachlan Morton's recent Eversting record was just as we're recording on a Thursday it was just today deemed, you know, a few feet shy uh, because he was going off of a Strava segment, um, and those Strava segments are set by the head unit of whomever uh, first records and flags the segment on Strava. And, um, they're usually pretty good, but they're, you know, you're, you're relying on the small little consumer grade electronics box and weather and all these other factors. Um, so that was, that was just something I was scratching my head about beforehand. And that prompted me to do a three-way computer test uh, on the day. So I brought a... I had the Wahoo Element Rome, the newest big bolt, you know, big element computer from Wahoo, uh, Garmin Edge 830, and uh, the Stages Dash L. So three computers, you know, in roughly like a $300 ballpark range um, to test a couple things. One, battery life, because as you said, we were out there all day, and you don't want to be out there all day only to have your computer poop out on you in the, you know, the 11th hour. That would have been a bummer. Because if it's not on Strava, it didn't happen, right? You gotta get the thing recorded first and foremost. Uh, and second of all, yeah, you want to know like if you hit that fourteen thousand foot mark when that happens, so you can stop the foolishness yes. and go back down. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, you, so one of the the key aspects that it interests me uh, about this project 14 or is that you were testing gear like you said and, and in the video uh you guys can go watch and see and ben's got three three computers on his handlebar ben um in the process of of doing this uh i'm gonna say it, this crazy thing that you did uh <laughs> you and betsy uh this foolish foolish thing um the three computers how how close were the elevation readings on them uh you know during the ride and after Sure. So just just uh, for note, dear listeners, uh, we've got two Project 14 videos on Mount Evans. One, the one that is up there now is sort of just the overview of what this silly project is and inviting you, dear listener, to join in on this challenge. Um, so you can see my computers in there, but I'm not addressing uh, the uh, functionality of those yet. So a second video, which will come out soon, will be just about the computers, just so you know. So this podcast is a sneak uh, audio peek into uh, the next video. So to, to answer your question, Dan, about what the numbers said, you know, you know, I've got three head units on the bike looking at the numbers. And you know, it's it was it's reminded me of when I would do power meter testing, when I'd have three and four power meters, and you're just staring at these numbers. And uh, feeling kind of silly, like, well, how do you know? You know, this is just like the democratic system. 
is if they all agree, does that mean they're all right, or does that mean that they're all agreeing and they're all wrong? You know, so my the the frames of reference I had uh, were these things. One uh, was topo maps. You know, just looking at the U.S. Geographical Survey maps, saying we're starting at Idaho Springs at 8,600 feet. We're going up to the top of Mount Evans at 14,226 feet. Uh, where exactly is that 14,226 mark? Is it the is it the little parking lot at the top, or is it that the 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 actual peak at the very tippity top? So we scrambled up in I and my clickety clackety road shoes to the very top just to make sure we can get that top elevation. But those are my two reference points. Then looking at Strava, there are two ways to judge elevation. Uh, one is by the segment, which again is the the elevation and elevation gain shown on Strava for a segment are both pulled from the original computer of whomever set that segment. Uh, a second way to to look at elevation on Strava is to do a create a route, and there. Strava pulls from all the resources it has in its database to give you that elevation. Uh, and I found uh, a discrepancy between uh, some of the, the segments for Mount Evans, since it's this you know, massive climb, uh, you know, more than 20 miles, more than six, you know, it's like 6,400 feet. There's a ton of segments on there, but just looking at a few of those segments and then comparing that to a route that I created, there was some discrepancy in there. So I was just going more off the basic math of a topo map of, hey, we're starting 86, we're going up to 14.2, we're going to need to do that twice, plus drop back down and come back up a little bit to, to take it from 13,000 feet to 14,000 feet. So again, long, long answer to a short question. The Garmin and the stages were eerily close all day long in one measurement, which was elevation gain. They were within 10 feet of each other all day long, which to me is incredibly uh, close. Um, but curiously, there. so that was an elevation gain. But those two would vary quite a bit in what they said the actual elevation was at any given point. Conversely, the stages in the Wahoo did not agree on elevation gain, uh, but they would often agree within 10 to 20 to 30 feet on what the current elevation was. <laughs> so what I took from that was that the Garmin and stages had relatively accurate elevation gain and that the stages and the, and the Wahoo were, were more close on what the current elevation was. Uh, so end of the day the the Wahoo elevation was high as far as like the elevation gain, it was like, you know, 14,660 was what the Wahoo read. Whereas the stages and the Garmin were both at 14,2. Um, and when that aligned with the info I had pulled off of the topographical map, um, so, so for somebody who does not have the luxury or the handlebar space for three computers, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, what's your takeaway from, from that experience? I mean, if, if somebody out there, well, first of all, most, most riders already have a computer. And so, uh, they're going to be tied to that 
that computer's uh, margin of error, I guess. But it, but say somebody is looking to buy a new computer. I mean, what what was your takeaway from those three computers? If you were to do a fourteener with just one, I mean, is there was there one that was better than the others? If I was to do a fourteener with just one, I would take the Garmin Edge eight thirty, and here's why: the battery life kicked booty. In that, um, uh, and all I should note, all three of them lasted all day. You know, I had it on from before six a.m. and we didn't get rolling until like eight o'clock and, um, we were, weren't done until like seven thirty or something. And all three of them lasted all day, which is remarkable. And certainly a huge leap forward from where all GPS computers were only, you know, not, not two, three years ago. So that's huge in my mind. Um, I put the Garmin and the stages on the auto setting to let them dictate what the brightness should be. I should note the stages, computer was substantially brighter all day uh, compared to the other two. So even though they have both have auto settings, they're not the same auto setting. Uh, Stages, for whatever reason, their engineers have emphasized brightness, which makes it a heck of a lot easier to read for sure. Garmin engineers emphasized battery life, but all three of them lasted long. The Garmin still had more than 60% battery life at the end of this 12 hour day, which was remarkable. You said 60, 60, six, zero. That's incredible. That's actually right. That's actually really good. (laughs) Yeah. And it's such a huge, I remember not that long ago, you know, testing a a Garmin 1000. Oh, and I should note all three were following routes Mm -hmm. and all three had power connected and all three had the phone connected. Right. So that's a power heavy setting to be using. Uh, Yes. Yes. And I I try to standardize that as much as possible. Not too long ago, GPS computers would put their battery life number at the best possible thing. Like if you basically if you weren't using it as a GPS computer, right, 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 right. <laughs> like if you just turn it on and just sit there at your house, it'll last for <laughs> six hours. Yeah. Now, if you use it, small prints, it will only last forty-five yeah, minutes. Right. Sorry. <laughs> um, you know, I, I did a, I rode an Ironman course fo- following the route just as, as a test, and it lasted for like, you know, ninety miles of the, hundred twelve or whatever it was. <laughs> And to me, that was sort of a fail for, you know, Garmin's highest and most expensive computer. When you were using it as a GPS computer following a route, it would crap out after, you know, you know, three and a half hours. So to be able to do 12 hours and still have more than 50% life, that's just enormously forward. Yeah. So. so so, the balance for you, uh, besides the accuracy of the, the elevation, the, the bigger uh, concern is battery life. And so that's, that's something to take in, into consideration if anybody's thinking about doing this. Um, but was there a balance between the two? I mean, how, in terms of, uh, the data, I mean, the, the edge A 30 had certainly had the best battery life. What, what was the data like? I mean, did you feel like you could trust that? Uh, you know, if you were somebody who was being competitive and trying to take not, I don't know if a 14 or record exists, you know, that kind, of, that kind of competition, but like if there was, and you wanted to make sure that you weren't going to get Lachlan Morton and miss, you know, miss out on the elevation you needed. Um, would you, would you feel pretty confident in what you saw on the edge a 30? Uh, yes. I mean, I feel confident in relatively mm-hmm. for recreational purposes. I, I feel like the Garmin, this particular, these two particular ones that I had, uh, were were accurate, the the Garmin Edge 830 and the Stages Dash L. Now, I mean, if you wanted to be 
scientific about it, you would need to have multiple iterations of each computer just to make sure it wasn't just like a fluctuation in one particular model that you had. However, like you said, people don't buy multiple computers. You just buy one and the thing should work, right? right? Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> that's, that's sort of how I was testing this. It's like, okay, maybe it's a lemon, but that, that would be the experience that any consumer would have. You just buy one and it should work. Right. Um, the, the, you know, like I said, the Wahoo was about, you know, 400, 50 feet over, which still is pretty darn good. Yeah. Yeah. You know, know, over 14,000 feet, if it's just a variation of, you know, 400 to 500, that's still pretty close. You know, I've certainly used, and you've probably used or seen friends use computers that are off by thousands of feet on a flat ride. Mm -hmm. Like I've had, you know, some older designs that were particular stinkers where, you know, you'd ride with your friends and a couple people would have, you know, a thousand foot climb, 1100 foot climb and then one person would have like a 4000 foot climb. Sure, yeah, yeah. Um and the same with some of the early stages ones where you know like the barometer would get bonked off somehow and would just return a crazy number so. Right. But I think you know if if you if you are like the one of the handful of people like a Lachlan that are going for number you know the thing to do would be to consult not just your computer, not just Strava, but look at the topographical maps. And just go old school uh, with some math as far as like what's the bottom, what's the top. Yeah. What's math again? But, but, but I'm not sure. I don't know. <laughs> I'm a <super> arts kid. <laughs> it's an intimidating thing. It is. That's why I have a computer. <laughs> yes, right? Yeah, I can't do the math. Uh, we're going to take a quick break. And then uh, when we come back, Ben, uh, we're going to talk a little bit about some of the other gear you used while you were Everesting and uh, what worked, what didn't, what you would change for next time. Whoop is a fitness wearable that provides personalized insights on the performance of your sleep, how recovered your body is, and how much stress and exertion you put on your body throughout the day. Each day when you get up, Whoop gives you a recovery score based on your sleep, resting heart rate, and heart rate variability that can be used as an indicator for how to approach your day. Whoop is offering 15% off with the code VELONEWS at checkout. Go to Whoop, W-H-O-O-P dot com and enter VELONEWS at checkout to save 15%. Sleep better, recover faster, and train smarter. Optimize your performance with Whoop today. All right, Ben. So the computer is is pretty key to the whole operation of fourteenering, uh, as it were. Uh, but that's certainly not the only consideration uh, that that comes into play when you're planning such a ridiculous, just insane endeavor that you guys pulled off. Um, it's only half ridiculous, half insane. I'm going full, man. I'm going. <laughs> I'm going full. I think it's still ridiculous. Um, <laughs> that's just me, but. Um, Let's talk a little bit about some of the other equipment you used uh, on your climb and uh, what what was important. Now, uh, for those of you, again, who don't know, uh, Mount Evans is a 14er, which means even in the summertime, uh, it is absolutely possible that you could get to the top and it'll be snowing. Uh, so there's, there's those sorts of considerations. There's the terrain. There's the bike you choose. Uh, so let's, let's dive in a little bit about uh, what you used and what, what worked for you, what didn't. Can you give us a quick uh, shakedown, a little rundown of what, you, what kind of gear you were using on your climb? Yeah, absolutely. So I used a Trek Checkpoint uh, 105 model uh, that I've just been enjoying quite a bit. Uh, picked it because it's got a compact crank on there. Um, so having a low gear, I've never, I had never been up Mount Evans, but, uh, just the prospect of large amounts of climbing, it's, it seemed that low gearing would be prudence. And I appreciated that. Um, 
also disc breaks is a nice thing for descending for cumulative hours, right? Um, I popped on the uh, new Bontrager wheels, AOS RSL 37s, um, which are sort of like this Goldilocks depth weight, uh, super Gucci carbon wheel. Um, total wheel set weight is like 300. I'm sorry. Total wheel set weight is about uh, 1350 grams. Um, those were delicious. Got no complaints. Um, you can run those tubeless or tubed. Um, I went tubed with some 28s. Uh, for me, I'm completely sold on tubeless for gravel tires and up, gravel tires and wider. For road tires, like tubeless is better until better than tubes until it isn't. And for like, it seems like the higher the pressure, the more of a mess it can be. Um, so I just had those set up as tubed. Mm -hmm. um, for what it's worth, I've been running tubeless on the road almost exclusively for, geez, almost two years. Um, and I've had so few problems with it. So what tires do you use? I mean, I've, I've used, I could, I could run down a list of tires. I've What's used. your go-to tire? Currently, uh, the ones I have on a, a test bike that I'm testing right now, I have the Continental, uh, GP 5000 TL. Is that, am I getting that name right? I'll have to look. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, it's like Connie's, Connie's first road to us. Yeah. Uh, those have been excellent. Um, I've used the Schwalbe, um, pro ones, uh, yeah. had a yeah. little bit of a, a, a mild issue with those, but nothing major. Um, Honestly, I, I've had so few problems with most of the the road tubeless tires that I've used so far. Um, I've had more I've had more punctures and more issues with tube tires, to be quite frank, uh, in all mm -hmm. my testing. Uh, so just you know, I think I think tubeless is coming into its own. It's still very much a, a preference thing, and but just to be fair, I mean, even I think within the last year, the t the, the tires in particular have improved so vastly uh, yeah. that I personally, I mean, if I end up uh, getting talked into one of these 14er experiences and you're going to have to do, a Oh, you're in, you're committed. You know, you're going to have to do a lot of talking, man. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, I, I wouldn't hesitate to use tubeless. And so that, that could be something we, uh, explore if I do do yeah. something like that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, just, just for the record, I, I love the feel of road tubeless. Yeah. Same. Uh, just sometimes if you get a flat, some particular combinations of tire and rim, or a struggle and then you've got pigeon poop all over your hands and mm -hmm. yeah yeah i mean there's definitely a drawback so so, no so yeah those those tires felt great for the record even the um new bontrager tires in 28 so i was you know running at about like i don't know like 75 psi or so mm -hmm. and uh that was also a question like with mount evans the top of the road the last 14 miles are closed to cars for now and probably through the summer yeah. um so that's a treat to have the full road. The frost-thaw cycle chews it up pretty good. So you're hitting pretty deep seams every couple seconds coming down. So that was a, that was a consideration. Like, okay, climbing, you want to have the lightest bike possible. And that includes very much rotational weight, right? So I don't want to be running fat bike tires right. going up. Right. But coming down, yeah, you want it as cushy as possible for those big yeah. stretches you're hitting. So 28s at, at a reasonable pressure was my uh settle point for that mm -hmm. 
And you were riding, you said you were riding a checkpoint? Yeah. Interesting. That's, a, I mean, that's a gravel bike. That is a gravel bike. Yeah. And um, you were on an aluminum. It's a great gravel bike. Were you on an aluminum version or the carbon? The carbon version. Okay. So this is, yeah, I'm super impressed with this bike. It's, I want to say just shy of $3,000, Shimano 105, but yeah, full carbon frame with that, you know, ISO, ISO speed, the, the flex point. Yeah, the decouplers, yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, I just, I don't, I didn't have a road disc bike mm-hmm. at, uh, at my beck and call. So this is, this was the one. Oh man, if only you knew a guy who had a gazillion bikes to test. <laughs> <laughs> what about, um, I mean, so the, the, the tires and the wheels are, are obviously key components here and the, and the bike itself. What about some of the accessories you used that sort of made the day bearable? Uh, I mean, I, I did notice in the video that you had a handlebar bag on as well. Sure. I mean, one of the best things uh, was my buddies and my buddy stuff. Yeah. So uh, we're here in Boulder. We went over to the Specialized Experience Center, um, talked to some friends there who hooked us up. Betsy was riding a Specialized Roubaix, uh, you know, which has got the Future Shock, a little, you know, 20 mil of front suspension, essentially, right. under the stem. Um but critically for our mission, they also loaned us a specialized Levo, a super high-end electric mountain bike uh, for our videographer, Kirk, to ride and tow a 50-pound trailer behind him mm. with all his camera gear. Uh, so that was a nice accessory and one that most people who were just riding wouldn't have. So I, like, I put some things in Kirk's trailer, like some of the extra GoPros and harnesses and such. Um, but yeah, I use my Roll Massif handlebar bag. We uh, we Roll Massif worked with Roadrunner out of LA mm-hmm. uh, for their handlebar bags to get uh, some custom designs. They have two. Well, they probably have more than two, but there's two that I recommend and enjoy. The the burrito, mm. being a fan of burritos, yes, which is too. a soft sided thing, mm-hmm. and the burrito supreme, yeah. uh, which is the one we have, which is uh, like a hard shell. Basically, there's a little sleeve in there that keeps it this nice oval shape nice. um, and so yeah i tuck all manner of stuff in there mm-hmm. leg warmers wool base layers arm warmers jacket uh, skull cap uh, buff mm-hmm. uh, warm gloves because yeah as you said it's even in the summer fourteen thousand feet can be mean and cold we were grateful that storms didn't move in you know thunderstorms high elevation way above treeline are always a danger in the summer but we, we lucked out on weather but yeah we were climbing up just you know sweating our faces off in shorts and short sleeves yeah. and then would put on all the clothes we had and wished we had more for the descent. Sure, so, sure. um, yeah, I'm mean, as one thing climbing. I remember, you know, like Michael Berry back in the day when do climbs here in Colorado and would carry a backpack for stuff to come down with, mm-hmm. because even if you can put it in your Jersey pockets, if you're sweating all over it, then when you go to put on sweaty clothes at the top, that isn't quite so helpful. Right, so right. handlebar bag for the win. So I got to ask, you know, I watched, I watched the video and of course, you know, Betsy's there eating blueberries and healthy things and you're every, every other second you're mowing down on a cookie. So <laughs> let's talk about the food. As you, I do. Yeah. As one does. And that's what I would do. I mean, quite frankly, as, as a self-avowed advocate of burritos, I would probably have burritos in my burrito pack. Um, so I feel you there, but, uh, yeah. what, uh, what did you guys use for, for nutrition, uh, throughout the day? I mean, it couldn't have just been all berries and cookies. Betsy made a huge bag of cookies, which was wonderful. Thank you, Betsy. Mm. Um, yeah, just a little bit of everything. Mm-hmm. 
I've, I think the you know packaged nutrition is nice and convenient and handy and does the job, but yeah, I don't want to just eat gels or packaged bars for an entire day, right, you know? Right. Um, yeah, so we made some, like she had some pizza and I brought some sandwiches and fruit and whatever. Um, you know, the it's a little different than racing when you don't have to really worry about what digests well at a high intensity. You know, we we're just sort of grinding along all day so we could eat whatever. So it was just more about what was portable. We had, we left a car at the very bottom and then Kirk drove halfway up to where the road was closed and had a truck there. So we had a couple base camps uh, to pull from. So mm-hmm. like, that was nice not having to carry. You know, it would have been impossible, not impossible, but I wouldn't have wanted to carry the two gallons or whatever of fluid. Yeah, right, <laughs> right. So we would, we would top off uh, a couple times with those cars. Yeah. I mean, I think that's a key co- key point as well. Is if you are planning, if you if you too are a silly human being planning on doing this, uh, I would recommend having some sort of support vehicle uh, to carry your stuff because it is a lot of stuff to carry for you know ten hours on the bike. It definitely, if for nothing else, just to see another human being's face, you know, for a few minutes while you're suffering. Um, so that's that's definitely a key component. So um, food uh, pack. Uh, the bike itself. Um, what about when you when you got to the top and it was freezing? What did you toss on to warm up? Every single thing that I had in the <laughs> burrito bag, and again, wished I had more. And the burrito. <laughs> so, yeah, I should have had a burrito. Well, that was a that was a fail yeah. in retrospect. Yeah. Rookie, rookie. No, yeah, warmers, gloves, rain jacket. Uh, I've got this Gore beanie that I love. Because it fits under a helmet, um, and just having that windbreak when descending for six thousand five hundred feet in one go uh, makes a huge difference. Kirk, man, Kirk, our videographer, was rocking a t-shirt and bib shorts and a rain jacket, and that was it. Yeah. yeah. Well, that's an upgrade yeah. from his usual jorts. So. <laughs> <laughs> Um, and we we hit a couple snowbanks yeah. where we'd have to dismount and you know sort of cycle across portage mm-hmm. through or around and he was pushing straight over the top of those in his tennis shoes and pulling the trailer behind so mm-hmm. bonus points for Kirk for getting it done. Nice. So what are we forgetting in terms of gear that uh, would be vital for anybody thinking to fourteener uh, and, and make this attempt? What what other things should they consider uh, adding to their list? Or did we cover it all? I mean, you should always have your, your backups, right? Uh, so many of us, and I'm thinking specifically about tubes. Mm-hmm. Um, I've become very lazy in recent years, and my standard setup for riding is a singular tube, a singular cartridge, mm-hmm. a singular leveler. And then beyond that, it's uh, just hopes and prayers, which is not effective or uber which again is not effective if you're at 14,000 feet and the last 14 miles of road are closed to cars so yeah bring extra tubes is my point okay Um, the whole the whole plan for the worst hope for the best right um now of course it depends on where where you're riding if you're doing your local hill in town where you're doing it 50 times Mm -hmm. Uh, it's not as vital, but if you're if you're trying to have a big day, yeah, plan for things to go wrong, mm-hmm. and hopefully you will never need those things. Right, right. 
Well, I'm going to plan for the worst, which is that I will have to actually do this. And I will hope for the best, which is that I don't have to do this. <laughs> but when I do... No, Be- Betsy's got you on the hook for a mountain bike 14er, oh. just so you know. Oh, my God. That sound, that's going to take like 20 hours. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, I, I think my key piece of gear for that is if I, if I do end up doing a 14er with you is a, a nice a big piece of webbing that I could wrap around your seat post and you can pull me up that mountain because I'm going to need it by the end of it. <laughs> uh, ben, thanks for joining me today to talk about 14ering and uh, everybody else, be sure to go over to the Velo News website to check out the, uh, the first video from Ben and Betsy's uh, experience on Mount Evans. It's definitely worth your time to, to see the agony and to see the, the pain and sweat and the big, 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 big bag of cookies. <laughs> big bag of cookies. Yeah. Ben, thanks again. And for those of you guys listening, uh, thank you for listening. If you have questions about this podcast or any of the other podcasts in the Velo News atmosphere, please do feel free to reach out to me. I'm on social media at Brown Tie Dan. You can also reach me at dcavalari at velonews.com. Ben, how can the people reach you? Strava, baby. Ben Dash Delaney. All right. See you folks there. Cool. Thanks, everybody, for listening, and we will catch you next time.